This episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast was brought to you by Murad Skincare Australia. Hello and welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauty Industry, Tamara Reid. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today, my guest is Tasneem Shahidala from Tasneem Cosmetics. For many years, Tasneem personally struggled with feeling the love when it came to makeup, especially when finding the perfect lipstick shade. For some reason, if you're two shades darker than almond, you're going to face nightmare nudes and off-tone reds. Having had enough of being left out of the commercial beauty industry, Tasneem decided to create her very own custom lipsticks with the shades carefully crafted to suit not only her skin tone, but also a variety of complexions. Being a third generation South Asian woman living in a Western society, Tasneem wanted to foster a brand that acknowledges and celebrates her personal cultural background along with a multitude of backgrounds. For too long, brands in society have happily utilized people of color for their appearance and aesthetics, but not given them a voice nor identity or even considered them in the development process of creating their beauty products. Tasneem's personal cultural upbringing has defined the person she is today from appearance, mindset, interaction, and character. So she's making it a key focus for Tasneem Cosmetics to unify beauty, culture, and colors. Talking about the education we should be searching for to better show up for all cultures, the work that needs to be done from top down to represent every person that walks through our doors in our marketing campaigns, and very generously sharing her own personal stories with the lack of inclusion she felt growing up. From Tasneem Cosmetics, today we welcome Tasneem Shahidala. Tasneem, welcome to the Beauty Industry Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for waking up. Um, can you tell the listeners <laughs> where you are? I'm currently in Estonia. I know it sounds very random. Estonia Tallinn for those who know a bit of Estonia, it's the capital here. Amazing. Yeah, I was telling um, my husband last night, he always asked me, what does your day look like the next day? Um, And I said, I'm recording a podcast with a guest who's in Estonia. And he was like, wow, okay, of all places. (laughs) I know. I know, like, before we moved here, I had never heard of Estonia. Isn't that so, like, wild? Um, But no, I love it if you ever have a chance to visit once borders are open and whatnot. um, It's definitely a really lovely place to come and visit. Amazing. So apart from being in Estonia, we ask all of our guests an initial question of how they entered Mm -hmm. into the beauty industry. And I'd love to start with you there today. Yes, of course. So I've been working in the beauty industry, I guess, since university. I studied um, fashion and graphic design. And then just through, you know, navigating through jobs and whatnot, I found myself within beauty. 
Um, and then I took the journey into creating my own business, which celebrates all types of people, cultures and colors. Um, the reasoning behind that kind of mirrors, I guess, my prior journey within the roles that I had had and kind of seeing, um, I guess, misrepresentation or exclusion of people of various backgrounds um, and colors, I guess, in the beauty industry. So that kind of kick-started that journey for me. Yeah, amazing. Right. So um, you were a consumer in the beauty space and you were also working behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Roles as well. So can you share what they looked like? Yeah, so I um, mostly did graphic design and social media for various companies within the beauty industry. I went from working with makeup brands to more, um, I guess, service-related uh, beauty companies, so ones that did, I guess, laser hair removal or skin treatments, et cetera, et cetera. So I got to see, like, both sides of the coin. Um, and... Yeah, for me, I just noticed that both elements needed a lot of work because uh, obviously growing up in Brisbane, Australia and then moving to Melbourne, Australia, uh, the variety of, I guess, skin treatments for people of colour just, it wasn't at that level just yet. So, um, yeah, it was really interesting to kind of dive in and see what was available, what was accessible to people and kind of um, go from there. Yeah, and it is it is exactly as you've explained. I mean, you've just given me a little flashback to when I was in education and uh, teaching mm -hmm. classes of peels and skin needling and things like that and always mm -hmm. telling them, you know, you've got to stop at three, be really cautious at four, yeah. five, six, and I'm referring to the Fitzpatrick scale, we don't treat, mm -hmm. right? And so yeah. as you're saying there, it must have been very difficult for you to be on the other end of a marketing campaign to try and market to people who you really couldn't have safe and effective treatments exactly for. exactly that was that one side and then also then diving into the makeup um side of the industry there were times where lots of brands just didn't have shades for people of color or even catering to their skin texture because that's a big element as well we don't all have the same skin texture um yeah so it was really interesting and I just think it comes down to education, like you were saying, that getting it from the core. Let's start from education and build up and, you know, that's kind of the way moving forward, I feel. Absolutely, absolutely. And you don't know what you don't know. So education mm. is the way that you can find that knowledge. Um, yeah. I'm interested to ask you, I mean, as little girls, when we're growing up, generally, you know, we kind of go into our parents' makeup and cosmetic stash. And of course, mm -hmm. we see it, you know, all through the department stores and things. Do you remember what age you were when you actually realized that your skin tone wasn't being included in these kind of typical color palettes here in Oz? Yeah, it was, it's kind of, I've had various funny experiences, or at least I've like taken it in a humorous kind of note. I remember just, okay, one was my year 12 formal, so the biggest kind of day, because prior to that you can mix and match and I was able to finesse bits and pieces to kind of cater for my skin tone, but I was never able to find one or like a range of products that was just, okay, take it off the shelf and wear it. So I was able to finesse. Um, but I remember for my year 12 formal, I went to one of the beauty counters in Maya and went to get my makeup done. And I remember going to the Estee Lauder counter because I knew that they had a various 
rage um, for people of colour. And they didn't stop in the in the Brisbane Maya, the um, my shade. They just didn't think it needed to be stocked in that uh, department store because it just didn't sell as much. Um, and they had, and I remember getting my makeup done, and I was about three shades lighter than I should have been. And you know, when you're that young, you're just so dramatic. And I remember like being fine, like you know, she put on the makeup, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah I love it. But the classic thing of when you get your fringe cut, you go into the car and you just <laughs> bore your eyes off bore your eyes out and yeah that was one kind of pivotal moment where I was like oh my god like that's crazy Estee Lauder is the company that I researched they have the product but then the department store decided not to stock it because they just don't get enough sales in it so why bother and I feel that was like a reoccurring theme growing up it's like why bother if it's not big enough for these you know for this group of people to buy we're not gonna we're not gonna stock it and that for me kind of it impacts you in a way, obviously, the physical way you're not able to buy it, but then in the um, emotional sense where you're like, oh, am I worthy enough because this wider audience is saying no, not really. Um, so there was that, and then I remember the um, classic, I don't know whether uh, you had it with your high school experience, but um, the classic foundation lip. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> yes. The foundation lip is here to traumatize me to this day. <laughs> I remember, um, yeah, doing the foundation lip again with probably a foundation not suited to my skin tone and it looked god awful. But um, yeah, thankfully, uh, those photos have been deleted <laughs> and erased from the internet. Thank you. <laughs> I was actually yeah, just saying that um, on an episode with a makeup artist, uh, Tanya Guccione, we were chatting about trends and I said, oh my goodness, what were we doing with the foundation leaf? It was just, I can't, it was probably the same time where people over pluck it. Like it was, it was we needed thing. help. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting what you say there about not stocking the least most the least requested colors I guess or mm. colors as you've described don't sell yeah. as much as like a typical Fitzpat you know two and three because mm. I actually was just in a shop before coming on to this podcast recording mm -hmm. and I'll call them out it was sports girl and I was in the change mm -hmm. rooms and I'm actually pregnant at the moment so I'm trying on clothes where I was never ever tried on clothes I was just mm -hmm. things but now I've got this huge pumpkin belly going oh my goodness <laughs> stuff on right but in the change rooms there was a little sign and it said we now stock size eight to 16 in our stores size 4 6 18 and 20 online only and i thought uh, oh, okay interesting yeah. and it and it mm. just resonated to me when you said that because it's not one of the most requested sizes therefore right. they can go online but no exactly. they should be able to have the ability to try exactly as well. and can you imagine like i guess you know for plus size size women going into the store, having the confidence to be like, you know what, I'm going to go shop with my girls and then you can't even partake. Like that, those are the little kind of nuances and the little micro um, uncomfortabilities that happen in our life that I guess <laughs> build up and stack up and those are the things that you remember. Um, yeah, so well, yeah, it happens across the board, be it flat, like with sizing, be it with skin tone, skin texture, ethnicities, disabilities, everything. Mm. Did that lack of, you know, build up, I guess, every time mm. you, you've got that little encounter happen, did mm. that ever make you second guess your identity? And I guess what was tied mm. to that? Because 
you know, it, it wasn't representative of that cultural diversity? Mm. Did you have those moments of confusion? Absolutely. I think, like, you know, I probably struggled with that more so in my adolescent stage. You know, now I've kind of grown into myself. I'm able to, you know, research and learn, et cetera, et cetera. But when you're, especially in high school, you are very much um, a product of your surroundings, of your peers, of what you're being taught, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I remember in high school, I felt really just uncomfortable. And like, I mean, for lack of a better word, just like very unpretty. Do you know what I mean? And that like for a girl when you're younger is like the hugest thing. If um, it's one thing that, I guess it's not represented in the media. People like you on top of that. Um, peers aren't really getting it because they're not like you. And then it's just, yeah, it's the growing pains of adolescence one. And then I think on top of that, just not seeing the representation really does question you and second guess. And yeah, you kind of reject, for me, I rejected a lot of my South Asian culture and my South Asian, I guess, upbringing because I just didn't want to be different you know yeah completely and and or not that yeah completely I get it but when Mm. we are in teenage years all we want to do is be like our friends and like our group we don't want to stand out you know we just yeah all wear the same clothes, all have the same hair, because that's what the exactly. is in. And I even remember a few of my Asian girlfriends, you know, mm. like dulling down their Asian ethnicity and saying, yeah. normally I would eat rice for breakfast, but I'm not going to yeah. eat rice or I'm not going to bring that in yeah. because of that nuance that, that's just associated oh. with being Asian. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember having a very interesting experience. I... Uh, I mean, I've grown up eating curries most of my life. Sometimes we have it for breakfast. Sometimes we have it, you know, lunch, dinner, etc. cetera. Um, and my mum would pack me very, like, South Asian food for lunch. And I remember, being, like, going to school and having my, um, like, unpacking my lunch. And it was a curry. And I was eating it with a spoon. And this boy came past and was like, oh, aren't you going to use your hands? And it's little things like that where you're like, oh, you're not saying it out of um, interest and intrigue. That was kind of having a dig. And I remember going home and being like, I'm never having that again. I want peanut butter sandwiches. Like getting so mad and like obviously misplacing my um, frustration with my parents. But it's just like funny little things like that where you're like, never again. Only veggie mite sandwiches from now on. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah, the dulling down. I think that's a great, great wording for it. But I think it just comes down to, like, again, kids, it's not up to necessarily kids to know it all. I can understand. I've probably said things that have not been politically correct or the most sensitive. But I think it comes down to, like, parents and also schooling. Like, I feel that was one thing that teachers and, yeah, parents just need to be more vigilant of. Like, it shouldn't be unnatural to see a South Asian girl having curry at school and to comment on it. It shouldn't be unnatural to see a um, girl wearing a hijab and comment on it. It shouldn't be unnatural to see an Asian person eating rice and comment on it. it these are very, like, basic, mm. normal things that haven't been normalised, unfortunately, within our communities and our, I guess, the Australian culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm being very mindful of this now, coming back to being pregnant in thinking about how I'm going to be a mum and how I'm going Mm. to show up and be inclusive and be diverse with my kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. even 
in the TV shows they watch and in the books they read, it starts so mm. much younger than we even realize. I mean, that perception mm. of going to school, you go to school when you're like seven years old, right? So you've mm. already had seven years prior. I mean, you do go to kindy as well, but you've already yeah. have all of that influence in what you read and what you watch and what you yeah. listen that impacts mm. then that behavior that we see at school. So it is really important. Yeah. Like, us to have books of not just white absolutely or cartoons you know of all different yeah. shapes and sizes and colors and backgrounds and it's interesting when you really start to think about it how unconscious we are of the fact mm. unless somebody like you is living and breathing it and shares their story yeah. thank you for being so open and honest oh thank you no of course i mean it's all kind of just the experiences of it all because i didn't even realize this until now I didn't understand I guess my discomfort or why I felt a certain way when I was in high school I just pinned it down to it was a bad day or um I don't, I don't know what it would be but now it's like oh I think that was a reaction to x y and z but that's only because of the lack of education or the lack of representation like it all it all comes full circle but it just takes hindsight <laughs> and a few uncomfortable bumps along the way to realize that after the break, Tasneem shares with us her words on how we can do more and show up for every client that walks through our doors, as well as sharing what she hopes for the future of change and cultural inclusion through cosmetics. But first, a word from today's beauty partner. Community, if you are looking to gain total skin wellness for your clients, then look no further. Murad's science-backed professional skincare treatments and solutions promote healthy, nourished and beautiful skin. Murad's founder, Dr. Howard Murad, is recognized around the world as a leading visionary for his unmatched scientific innovations. A board-certified dermatologist, trained pharmacist and associate clinical professor of medicine, Dr. Murad has personally treated over 50,000 patients, so it's safe to say that he knows skin. For more than 30 years, Murad has been committed to developing clinically proven, cruelty-free products that meet the meticulous standards for safety, efficacy and care you would expect from a doctor. Plus, they're supported by Dr. Murad's industry-first research for the most advanced formulas that don't just consider a symptom or a concern, but rather address total skin health. The team at Murad want to help you achieve yours and your clients' skincare goals, and they're so kindly offering a free product pack to start you on your journey. That is right, you heard it here. It is free. All you have to do is email kbacon, that's K-B-A-C-O-N, at murad.com and mention the Beauty Industry Podcast to have your Murad skincare pack sent out to you. As a longtime lover of Murad myself, trust me, your clients and your skin will thank you. Thank you so much to the team at Murad for making this episode possible. And now back to Tasneem. And this is a conversation that I'm continuing to push the envelope on in the professional beauty industry 
because mm. in working with a lot of brands, I am just seeing the same damn model in every single campaign, yeah. every single marketing promo. And for yeah. you, you would have definitely seen this in your marketing roles. Yeah. But this too is again, because these heads of these companies are going, well, mm. this is our main client. But when you look mm. at the clientele who we're treating in the treatment room, that ain't it. They're not, yeah. all, not a size six, one, ten, blue eye. They're all different yeah. shapes of sizes. We've got cellulite. We've got different, you know, yeah. there's so many different things. And so I'm telling our community, push back. You know, if your tanning mm. is not diverse and not inclusive, why mm -hmm. not? You know, a lot yeah. of tan, every nationality tans, you know, mm -hmm. why aren't we showing that? I mean, what yeah. do you think is the right step forward, I guess, to do better in our marketing campaigns and, and yeah. be better decisions than we're currently making? Yeah, I think it would just come down to really thinking about your consumer, looking at what's happening on the ground, looking at what's happening, you know, with the people that are shopping and asking them the questions. Um, because more than not, you will notice that people of various backgrounds, of various colours, of various kind of, um, you know, uh, yeah, backgrounds are the ones shopping your brand. So just being understood making it authentic not plugging in a brown person because you think you need to get the inclusivity marks you mm -hmm. need to be aware of what is actually happening within your brand um so that would kind of be my biggest yeah just being authentic about it and really wanting to include everyone because you know your brand is catered to everyone not just one type of person yeah, absolutely. I love that. It's not just about ticking a box because you mm. want to go, okay, well, what are the four pillars? We've got to look at sustainability. So maybe let's you mm -hmm. know, change over our towels. Oh, and we should also look at inclusivity. So let's do mm. this marketing campaign and just ticking yeah. a box for the sake of ticking yeah. it. I think you really have to exactly. want to create change. You have to want to serve your exactly. clients on another level. And I really appreciate exactly. that. Because it was really interesting, I was having a conversation with one of my friends and he was mentioning that he fails to get a lot of jobs or, I guess, sponsorships because he's a, he's a South Asian man, but they've already ticked the box with a black man on their campaign. So they wow. don't need another... So that kind of, like, there's a, that's where the tokenism and that's where the... Um, that kind of mindset of just ticking the inclusivity box doesn't actually follow through for benefits. It really just kind of is like, okay, well, we've done our job. We've got the black girl in, we can relax. And it's like, well, no, let's think about everyone and everything and why you're picking these people. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I guess it just starts with being conscious of what you're putting out mm. there. I mean, for us, especially on our social media, we try and have every fourth post is a person of mm. colour. And no yeah. matter what that may be, because mm. we realise that one in four Australians are a person of color, right? So yeah. for us, yeah. it's, it's, it's not about ticking the box. It is being mm. about creating the change and showing up for mm -hmm. people. And as soon as we did start this change and look, I'm not going to say mm. that I'm perfect. It was only about mm. six months ago, you know, at the start of this year where we mm. went, hang on, oh my goodness, we've had an event and there's a whole lot mm. of white people here. And somebody yeah. actually messaged me on Instagram and said, I don't oh, wow. see any other person of color 
in this photo. Yeah. And I went, wow, thank you so much for pulling me up, you know? And, mm. and I thought I kind of, at the start, I was a little bit reactive because I thought, well, yeah. hang on, I can't tell people to buy a ticket to my event. You know yeah, what I mean? If whoever chooses to buy the ticket buys the ticket. But then I thought, no, Tamara, you can, because you're subtly mm. and unconsciously telling who mm. to come to your event. So when yeah, we started molding, course. you know, our image and changing it, and as mm -hmm. you said before, putting a woman with our tote bag in in a hijab or, yeah. you know, yeah. an Asian makeup eye on our reel yeah. or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. people started to change and they started to DM yeah. us and say, oh, my goodness, I am so happy I've not seen this in a professional beauty industry. And I was like, exactly. yay, oh, my goodness. Not because we wanted to tick the box, but because I was like, I'm finally having them be heard mm -hmm. on our platform. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, what everyone wants, anyone wants. They just want to be heard. They just want to feel comfortable and accepted. And that's what I love so much about social media. I know social me media has its, you know, ebbs and flows like mm -hmm. anything, but um, the fact that it can foster so many communities and make people feel so heard and represented is nothing like I've ever seen. I've not seen that with media. So this is a really interesting and special hub to have these platforms and for, for the consumer to literally be able to contact you and you be able to kind of uh, nip it in the bud like that is is amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited for what the future brings with that space in particular. Yeah, absolutely. Now, talk to me about Tasneem Cosmetics. So, coming back to your original mm -hmm. story at the start, uh, you didn't find shades that were applicable or acceptable on your skin tone. We mm -hmm. had the, the white mm -hmm. form face. Um, so, mm -hmm. tell me then, what are you doing differently? Yes. Yeah, so. Obviously, it has been fostered from the concept, from my childhood trauma, let's call it that. Um, and I, first and foremost, wanted to develop a product that would suit all skin tones and skin textures. So the development side of things was really, really important for me. So I went through months of um, sampling, formulating, kind of. All of, all of the above, testing on various skin tones, various skin textures. So that was kind of the initial side of things. And not to say that other brands don't do that, but the thing that I feel I do with Tasmanian Cosmetics, um, with the marketing side of things, is really promoting the cultural, cultural aspect of um, people and various people of different backgrounds. Because for me, growing up, I wasn't just wearing makeup for... Uh, going to work or going to school or whatever it was, I was wearing makeup for various cultural events, be it Eid festivities, Diwali festivities, um, you know, I don't know, uh, bar mitzvahs at this stage. There were various types of um, things I was wearing makeup for. So I wanted to highlight that within the, within the brand and really focus on the cultural element because I know a lot of times the beauty industry at this stage is happy to kind of plug people of color in their campaigns, but they don't really give them a voice. They don't really understand what the person behind the pigment is. So that's something that I really wanted to push for Tasmanian Cosmetics. Yeah, incredible. And you're doing such a fantastic job about it. Every time I go on your Instagram page, it just fills me with so much joy seeing, you know, so oh, many you. different cultures and looks as well. Oh my goodness. If I had half the talent mm. that your posters do, wow. Oh my goodness. I know. I'm always very shocked. I was like, wow, how did you like 
recreate like create such an amazing look but no there are really talented people and like I mentioned social media is such a amazing kind of platform that fosters such a great community and yeah no I've been really lucky to have people kind of resonate with the brand the way they have yeah gorgeous um what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned in creating this cosmetics company the biggest lesson ooh many lessons to have been, have been learned but i guess one is patience and also tenacity because things like a brand don't pop up or pop off overnight you have to put in a lot of work you have to put in a lot of hard yards and um just kind of having trust in the process because sometimes there are days where you can feel really defeated and like, oh, okay, is this even working? Like I've put myself into this brand and I'm not getting the return that I want to today. But then there are other days where you're like, wow, everyone loves it. It's so easy. I can't, you know, it's just kind of trusting the process and putting the time and effort into it. Um, yeah, that would kind of be my biggest lesson with it. And just planning, pre-plan. If you can plan till the cows come home, I think that will make your life so much easier. So we've got various tools that we use um, to pre-plan our, pre-plan our marketing, pre-plan our just product development, everything. Yeah, amazing. Somebody said to me only recently, a couple of months ago, um, on your point to tenacity, is that mm. everybody can weather the storm, but it's how long the storm mm. goes for that can you weather yeah. it or not. And I think that's so oh, true yeah. of being a persona because you feel like, okay, today I've got this problem. I'm going to learn from that mm. experience. And then next yeah. time I'll know how to handle it. But there's generally yeah. not a next time of that same problem. It's like a whole yeah. new problem, right? That you've oh, also got to learn yeah. how to navigate. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I guess it's just because I feel I'm, um, I can be a bit of a reactive person in my emotions. So like that, I guess those types of experiences, at least you're like, okay, this isn't the first problem I've had, but it won't be the last one. So I need to figure it out and um, get my life together and just plow through because it's the only way. Because I guess no one's going to love your business as much as you. And that's kind of a scary thing to think as well because you're like, wow, it's really all the chips are in my I guess, corner or whatever the expression is. Like yeah. you've got to really vouch for it as much as, yeah, you can because you created it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a hard realisation when you realise that, isn't mm. it? I, I normally yeah. find when business owners hire their first team member or so and then, you oh. know, they go, oh, but why doesn't she come in early or why doesn't she do this <laughs> or she doesn't answer the phone when I call her and I always say that no one's going to love your business like you will. And, yeah. and when you realise exactly. that, you go, oh, Okay. All right. Very true. Yeah. And then it puts everything into perspective and you're like, okay, I can have the range now to move forward with this relationship or this partnership or whatever it may be. Mm, yes. So um, just touching base on where you are at the moment in Estonia, mm -hmm. you've been traveling yeah. a lot. Um, or yes. COVID made us stop yeah. a little, but prior to that, yes, traveling. Um, yes. In Australia, we are still pretty far behind. I mean, I listen yes. to lots of different conversations across podcasts throughout the globe mm -hmm. and they are so many light years ahead of us. Yeah. Why do you think we are so far behind? Is it because we're just on our little old island over here or, you know, should we? Yeah, I think it comes down to the fact, like Australia is 
quite a young country when you compare it to various countries around the world. And it is isolated in a sense. Obviously, it's a little, not a little island, a big old island <laughs> on, you know, very far from a lot of countries. Um, and yeah, I guess with immigration and whatnot, the amount of diversity isn't as vast as somewhere like the UK, which is where I was living prior to uh, Estonia, and that is very dense with very a, a lot of different cultures and backgrounds. So I think it comes down to not necessarily seeing it, but in the same breath, it needs to be second nature to understand different cultures and backgrounds. Just because you don't see someone of a various, of a different culture or background doesn't mean you un, you should be naive to it. That was the biggest thing that I found like quite um, confronting growing up because I'm like, oh, I, I get that. Yeah, maybe I am the only South Asian girl in the classroom, but like that's not widely, you know, unique. Mm. If you know what I mean, like we, the, Australia consumes a lot of um, American media, a lot of international media. So it's not like you, I'm not the first South Asian person you've ever encountered in your life, maybe in person. Yes. But in your life, that's not going to be the first time. So I think um, just being, getting, yeah, opening up the tools, opening up the education, I guess parents need to be a little bit more um, inclusive in what they share with their children, be it with books of cultural diversities, be it with the shows that they let their children watch. In schools, it needs to be um, definitely more prevalent. Like, yeah, getting more of the historical studies, maybe more of cultural studies. Um, something that I spoke about on my Instagram um, IGTV a while ago was the fact that companies don't actually have um, discrimination training. That's just not done. We have hate, we have hate, um, what's it called? We've got First aid training, oh, yeah. yeah, we've got first aid training, we've got those kind of basic level um, elements, but discrimination training is just not something that's, you know, dealt with, but having been in the working beauty industry, it needs to be dealt with, it, because it comes down to the microaggressions and the wording of things, and if people don't know how to navigate with various different types of people and cultures in the workspace it makes it very uncomfortable and very difficult and that's where a lot of conflicts kind of bubble up um so yeah just I think education needs to be the biggest the biggest thing for Australia to kind of move forward yeah and not being naive to the education either I mean if you know that there's work to do, if you're a business owner yeah. or a therapist who's listening to this, perhaps going, oh, I haven't even thought of that. Or, you know, yeah. I don't have, uh, you know, any of these policies in my business. Mm. Or I've never even had the conversation with my team. Um, yeah. That's, that's homework for you, you know. And not yeah, just going, absolutely. Oh, you don't need to do that because that's a huge privilege. But it's about yeah. educating yourself on the people that are walking through your doors, which is yeah. what a business, right? Exactly. And I guess with like a lot of therapists, that's a very personable job. You have to be, you know, yeah, you're talking to a lot of people and you, you don't know how to navigate a conversation of someone of, I guess, an Islamic background. And, you know, a lot of the times they don't really want to um, showcase their skin, but you're offering a skin treatment. You need to know how to navigate that conversation in a comfortable way for yourself, but also that, um, that consumer as well. So I think that's where the dis- 
maybe the word discrimination isn't the uh, fluffiest of words, but a type of training that helps to navigate conversations with various people of all backgrounds, I think is the key, most important thing. Absolutely. And you've just given me mm. another flashback. I was actually in my second role and I was a, um, mm. a spa therapist and mm-hmm. we were going into, uh, there was a big group. I think there were about five women um, and they were Islamic and I was mm. doing a full day. So it was a five hour body scrub, mm-hmm. spa, salt, mm-hmm. yogurt, blah, blah, blah. And oh, wow. um, mm-hmm. I had one of the youngest uh, daughters and I think she was only mm-hmm. about 16 or 18. And um, I was trying to tell her to put the disposable g-string on um Mm. and she just freaked absolutely freaked out and i was like what do you mean it's just a disposable g-string you know yeah and it was so lucky that we had um a therapist who was islamic and i went out of the room and i said i don't know what's going on she just won't wear the g-string she came back into the room and yeah. uh, you know they had a conversation and said look she just wants to leave her own underwear on and i was like mm. oh that's fine but that moment yeah. for me was just such a light bulb going okay yeah. i need to learn how to deal with yeah. everyone because not all clients yeah. are going to look like me right so yeah exactly or have the same upbringing or Correct. whatever it may be or comfortabilities it might not even be a um cultural thing it could be like mm. a body dysmorphia thing people Correct. aren't always going to be the most comfortable um as we are or whoever else is so yeah just knowing how to kind of converse and make everyone feel the love yeah safe in the yeah. treatment room mm. Mm. so tell me you're doing some pretty incredible things making lots of progression and waves mm. do you have an ultimate goal i mean how do you how do you see tasneem yeah. creating impact oh of course well i guess um through our messaging through our marketing has always been like a um really big thing for me and to kind of take that to the next level maybe um doing i guess seminars even could be a really beautiful and exciting um you know stepping stone for Tazine cosmetics um giving uh, creating a platform for voices allowing other people to speak talk about their experience um show their talents as well show their different techniques for different types of people of um, different cultures and, um, yeah, just diversity. So, yeah, I don't really know the trajectory just yet, but I just I have big things in mind. But, yeah, we'll just have to see how it all kind of comes together and how it all snowballs. Hopefully. Yes. <laughs> it's actually great that you don't have a plan because I think this, I mean, post-COVID, you know, when the world yeah. turns back right side up, I think a lot of doors are going to open for you and I'm excited to see what that looks <laughs> oh, like. Oh, I hope so. Fingers crossed. well thank you so much for coming and having a chat with me today i really appreciate your time um, and all of your your willingness to be open and honest and to share your stories with us no thank you so much it was really enjoyable and yeah if anyone wants to check out tazim cosmetics be sure to (laughs) what a special conversation that was today with tazim One of our four value pillars at Beauty Industry is conversation, specifically to be able to hold space for progressive conversation that shares the tone and story of voices of all kinds. And it makes me extremely proud to be able to produce conversations like this today that truly live up to that value. 
This conversation might have you asking yourself how you can make a difference in our industry by showcasing all the diversities across color, race, tone, texture, size, shape, or background. And if you are doing that, I encourage you to start doing the work to educate yourself before moving into the space of action. Take a good look at the types of clients you're servicing in your treatment rooms and then reflect on the marketing campaigns of your brands and to your own social media channels. That will give you a pretty clear answer as to how and what you can change and implement immediately. You can see all of the incredible looks and creative work that shows up on the Tasneem Cosmetics Instagram by clicking through the show notes or searching for at Tasneem Cosmetics. Until next time, stay connected.